Good morning from a fine Pembrokeshire sunny morning. As I look out of my window, I see blue sky, which is kind of a bit unusual for this part of the world. So, good morning and hello and welcome to Three Worlds Podcast, Series 2, Episode 4. Last time I talked quite a lot about spirits and I'd quite like to continue in that sort of same vein this time in this podcast. I'm one of the moderators on the large Facebook shamanism group with about 70,000 members and one of the things I'm aware of because I moderate and I see all the posts that people put up there is that a lot of people don't have teachers they, for whatever reason, they don't partake in workshops, they don't know any teachers, so they come to the group and they maybe have read a few things, often quite erroneous things, because the New Age is quite often, well, don't get me started anyway, that's a whole other podcast. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, they really don't know where to begin. And um, it's one of the things that is a problem for people. So I thought I'd kind of like to talk a little bit about that, at least to start with this time, and then maybe go on to other, some other aspects about the spirits. So people don't know how to journey, and journeying is the core shamanic technique, which is a very good technique if it's taught properly and people really learn how to do it. Journeying generally, as I've said before, involves going in a trance state to a place that you know, ideally in the real world, that is part of your kind of landscape, which uh, is a hole in the ground generally, and you kind of do it in your mind's eye, and then you kind of enter the hole, and you have adventures down there with the spirits. Now, it sounds incredibly fantasy-filled, I know, from my brief description there, but However, it is actually, when it's developed, can be an extremely good way of doing it. But it takes a certain amount of skill and it takes a certain amount of development and it takes practice and ideally it takes a good teacher to encourage you, to point out things that you might be doing wrong, to just give you a good basic grounding in it. And people don't always find it easy to do that. If you've just read about it in a book or you've maybe seen some video on YouTube or something like that, it's not easy. I've got to say it's not easy. Some people will, yes, they will take to it like a duck to water, but a lot of people will take to it like a duck in the desert. So they often will say, how can I contact the spirits? How can I find a teacher? How can I this? How can I that? And it kind of comes down to wooing the spirits. A lot of what they're asking about is about wooing the spirits. And there's different ways of doing that. So I thought it would be really good to talk about that at least for a little while. Because this is the advice that I often give to people in that difficult situation. They kind of don't know what they want, but they get the feeling that they want to have some sort of connection with spirits. And because we live in such a sort of consumerist world where you click your fingers and you order it online and it arrives the next day, people kind of want it to be instant. And spirituality is not instant. Spirituality is something that has to be worked on and worked at for a long period of time. It's never ending. I'm still working. I should be working till the day I die. 
learning new things and developing and whatever. So it's never completed and you can't just click your fingers and hope that things are going to arrive for you immediately because they're not. So I think part of the way of working with the spirits is about getting into a kind of prayerful attitude and a receptive attitude. So what I say to uh, to people very often is that I encourage them to make offerings and I encourage them to sit quietly with the spirits. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about offerings and about kind of wooing the spirits. In effect, when you when you woo the spirits, you're showing the spirits that you really mean it. You're showing the spirits that you are someone worthy of them taking notice of and having pity upon. And so if you develop a practice that makes offerings, that connects with the spirits in some way, then that is a really good thing to do on a daily basis. And it will change your perception of the world. You see, I think that the spirits are kind of all around you anyway. But a lot of people just don't have the perception and they don't have the ability to hear them. When I was um, about 15 years old, and I, I was a strange child, I'm not going to deny it, but when I was about 15, the spirit started to come to me and I had cloth ears, to use that wonderful British expression. I was not able to hear them properly. I was very aware of them, but I didn't know how to communicate with them and I couldn't really get what they were saying. And I think a lot of people get into that kind of situation. So one of the ways is to do practices which help. Now, I've got a shrine room in my house, which is a room dedicated to my shamanic practice. Not everybody is going to have that ability. It's only really been in about the last 10 years that I have. Um, so, you know, when you've got kids and spaces of a prem, premier, premier, premium, premium, that's the word I'm struggling to find and completely failing at, um, you can't dedicate a whole room, but you can maybe dedicate a shelf on the bookshelf or you can dedicate the top of a cupboard. So it's really good to have an altar space, an altar space where you maybe light a candle each day and you maybe have a stone that is sacred to you or a piece of wood or whatever it is that speaks to you in a sacred manner. Um, maybe if you've got a particular spirit that you work with that's a sort of more universal spirit, maybe you can find a statue of them. Things like that. You can put fresh flowers on that altar. You can light incense on that altar. And you go to that altar each day. You connect with it. You actually make a habit of that and it develops a muscle in you it develops a power in you and the more you go to it the more it kind of comes to you now i'm not going to tell you how to do exact altars because every tradition is different my altar is a mixture of kind of shamanic and tibetan buddhist bits and is only really like my altar there are some universals on it like i light incense and i have candles and um, I actually don't have flowers on mine very often. Occasionally I'll put them on. So it's my altar and it's it's evolved for me. So I'm not going to try and tell you what you should do for your altar. I think you should experiment. I think you should feel the right way for yourself and do whatever it is that feels right for you. You have to develop your own inner body sense of 
correctness for yourself. So look at altars, look at uh, the things that you could put on an altar and play. Shamanism and play go together. If you cannot get in touch with your free child, with your playfulness, you will be very rigid in your practice. And, and that's just not going to give you juicy practice. So be playful, experiment, experiment with what it is and let it develop in a kind of organic way. Okay, so that's just a brief introduction to altars. And I know I've covered this before. Somebody on Facebook pointed it out that I think it was in episode 11 of the first series I talk about altars. I can't honestly remember what I've talked about before. So some of these podcasts may well end up to be rambling repeats of things that I said 10 or 12 or whatever years ago. So sorry about that. But that's life and, and old age and bad memory. Um, so... Making altars is a really good way of doing it on a daily practice, but very often people, they kind of want to be out in nature and do things. So I just wanted to talk more about actually just making simple offerings and prayers. I can't remember the exact situation, but I do remember an encounter I had with somebody a while ago that wanted a teacher and they were in a situation where it was impossible for them to have a teacher and they didn't know how to do shamanic work. They didn't really have any idea about what their spirits were or how to get in touch with them, but they had a burning desire to be in a kind of sacred relationship with the world, which is animism, of course. And so I encouraged them to do some simple animistic practices and what I ended up encouraging them to do was to go outside each day with a small bowl of milk and make a milk offering to the four directions and to the above and to the below and to make their prayers and to be vocal about the fact that they were asking the spirits that love them to come close to help guide them and to teach them about the path that they needed to walk. So that was that was their daily practice. They were just taking some time to go outside into their garden. Early morning is good, first thing. Taking a bowl of milk and a little spoon and flicking milk, a spoonful of milk to each of the directions, north and south and east and west and up into the air and then pouring the rest of the milk down onto the ground. And I got them to find a special place in their garden that was a place that they did it every day. And for them to have a stone that they poured the remainder of the bowl of milk onto each day. So the stone started to become a kind of central sacred part of their cosmology. Making offerings is a really good practice. It encourages us to develop our sense of gratitude and our sense of generosity. Some people that I know, they carry with them a little sort of pack of things that they can make offerings with. Tobacco, of course, is a very traditional Native American offering. I used to do that. I used to sort of use tobacco quite a lot for offerings. Over the years, I've gradually moved away from that. Um, it's obviously not a, a very European tradition and also because I've become more involved in Mongolian and Tibetan traditions I don't tend to use tobacco so much. In Tibetan traditions, tobacco is not at all considered to be a healthy plant, a healthy spirit, uh, and is actually considered to be a rather pernicious demon. So there are quite strong prohibitions in a lot of Tibetan traditions about contact with tobacco. I don't personally 
feel that in the same way that a lot of Tibetan teachers will teach it and I'm a sacred pipe carrier in the Native American tradition so I still do pipe ceremonies but I've given up the idea of using tobacco but if it still speaks to you and especially if you live in America and it's a natural plant for you then I think tobacco is an absolutely fine thing for you to make as offerings just a little pinch I use milk of course but milk isn't such a good thing to carry around with me uh, one of my friends carries a little bag of cornmeal and makes offerings of that. That's that's a good thing to use. I sometimes carry little stone chips, little chips of turquoise and coral. One of the spirits that works with me quite a lot are the nagas, the uh, the water spirits. The they're called lu in Tibetan and lus in Mongolian and nagas in Sanskrit and the, one of the offerings to them is little chips of turquoise little bits of precious stone sometimes even bits of gold occasionally I'll give gold to the nagas you can buy little gold beads which don't cost that much and um, they're good things to put into water when you're making an offering to the nagas at a river or something like that so to carry a little bag of chipped stones is a great thing and of course that's not in any way going to damage the environment Chocolate is another good thing that you can use. And uh, also, when I had long hair, I used to pull a hair out from my head. And if I was visiting a sacred site, I would leave a hair. That's a good thing you can use. Fingernails, too, is part of the tradition. But that's not perhaps such a nice thing to do. But hair uh, is all right. Um, yeah, money, too. I was uh, in, in Avebury uh, in, in England, the big stone circle, uh, back a few months ago. I didn't know I was going there. I ended up there by kind of fluke. And uh, I had nothing to leave as an offering. So I, I grabbed a pound coin out of my pocket and found a clump of stinging nettles that I knew would not be disturbed and made my prayers and offerings and just carefully, without stinging myself, put it into the stinging nettles. But I'm specifically talking really not so much about just making offerings in a general sense, but more about developing a daily practice and kind of wooing the spirits. And it's really important to talk to the spirits and to talk out loud. When I do a pipe ceremony, I always encourage people to make their prayers out loud because if you just think things, you can kind of waffle and ramble and things are not said and you can lack clarity. So to actually voice your prayers, to go and make a milk offering each day and talk to the spirits and talk about how you feel. Oh, sacred ones, grandfathers, grandmothers, uncles and aunts, please hear this little one. I'm sitting here and I don't know what to do with my life and I'm really concerned that I haven't got a teacher and I don't know where to put my feet. Hey, sacred ones, please help me. Please help me at this time. This little one is suffering here. This little one is really needing to have a teacher. This little one wants to hear you, but I don't know how. Hey, sacred ones, I feel you in my heart, but I don't know how. I really need to hear you. Please help me. Please help me. You speak from your heart. You speak in a straight way. You speak in a real way. You speak from your guts, from your belly, from your body. This is not from your head. You don't need fancy long words. You don't need clever sentences and complicated paragraph structures. You speak what is in your heart. 
And you do that and the spirits will listen to you because that's the way it's always been. That is always the tradition. You beseech the spirits. You make an offering and that offering is not bribery. I want to say that you're not bribing the spirits to pay attention to you. You're offering the spirits an offering because you are grateful, because you trust that they are there for you, because you love them and because you want them to help you. And it's always, always important to put that caveat on spirits that love you, because there's lots and lots of mischievous little ones out there that will want to come around and trip you up and pull your coattails and do all sorts of things tie your shoelaces together tweak your ears pinch your bottom do all of those things just to kind of get you worked up so you ask for the spirits that love you and it's absolutely no good whatsoever if you ramble onto the spirits for 10 minutes and then you go inside and have a slice of toast and a cup of tea and you don't listen to those spirits you need to talk and then you need to listen. You need to be silent. You need to sit with your awareness in your heart and your belly. And you need to listen to that small voice that is going to come back to you from the spirits, that is going to come back to you from the wind blowing on your face, that is going to lift your spirits, lift your heart that is going to be that bird that flies past, that is going to be that cloud that forms in the hills by your house. That is listening to the spirits. You need to listen. And those little insights that develop, Faith and I jokingly refer to them as downloads because you just sit there and then suddenly something kind of downloads into you and you kind of know it in your body, you know it in your heart. It's not like a thought that you've sat and worked out. So this isn't going to teach you shamanism. This is animism. This is just you getting more in touch with yourself and getting more in touch with the spirits around you. Learning to listen and learning to be aware. We go through our lives so unaware, so blind to what's going on. And we are not taught in our culture generally from children to be aware of spirit, to be aware of the subtleties of creation that are all around us. So this is you teaching yourself how to do that, coming home to yourself once again. And it can be a slow educational process. Sometimes we have to kind of undo all of the learning that we've had in the last 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, whatever of our life. We are re-educating ourselves and developing our awareness and developing our gratitude and developing our sensitivity so that we can actually listen properly to the spirits and listen properly to our own hearts. People in our culture, are not aware of where they're at in their hearts. Oh, God, that sounded so new age. I'm so sorry. Let me say that again. People in our culture are not aware of themselves, full stop. They are so shut down on their feelings, so shut down on their inner needs and their desires and their own sense of actually who they are on a deeper level. So part of the development that happens, if, if you go out and you make an offering like that, or you go into your 
front room and go with the shelf on the bookshelf that is your altar and you talk to the spirits each day and you connect in that way, it will enable you to winkle into yourself and bring out the true self that is you. And that is really important. You can't be honest with the spirits unless you're being honest with yourself. And to develop a deep relationship with the spirits, you need that depth of relationship with yourself. The two go hand in hand. Otherwise, you're doing it all from the surface and your relationship with the spirits will all be from the surface too. Part of my daily practice is to actually talk to the spirits in the shower. I go into the shower and I thank the water spirits and I thank the lightning spirits that are the electricity that heats my electric shower and I am grateful and I talk to them and the shower cubicle is square so there's like four directions there and I'm feeling like I'm standing in the center of the world and I talk to the shower and I talk to the water and I give thanks to the glass and I give thanks to the shower tray and to the air that is all around me. And I talk to the spirits and ask for blessings on my day and send blessings and prayers to people that I'm doing healing work for and neighbors and loved ones and friends and family. It's a minor thing. In a way, it's a completely irrelevant thing, but it's important because it develops our sense of gratitude and that sacred muscle that we're always seeking to develop. That sort of offering technique of standing in the centre of the world and making a milk offering, or doesn't need to be milk, it can be other things, but basically having those directions around us and addressing those directions can be useful in all sorts of things. I was... Um, talking to somebody on Facebook a little while ago. Well, I say talking, of course, I was typing, but you know what I mean. Um, and they had just had a, a, a rather unpleasant experience. Um, they had basically bitten off a bit more than they can chew. They had done, uh, a, a, I think it was a sort of exorcism or a house clearing or something like that. And they um, had felt that they had picked up something, something unpleasant from the spirit that they had tried to get rid of. And it, it had, in fact, kind of come into them in some way. And they were in a situation where they didn't know any practitioners that could help them. They had no teacher. They had no real teachings. In fact, they had no teachings at all. They just were basing everything that they did on their intuition and so I suggested to them that they actually did milk offerings like this, asking for the spirits that love them in each of the directions to come and be with them and help protect them. I did that because it was the easiest thing that I could suggest for them to do. It was late at night here in the UK. I think they were somewhere in America and uh, there was no way I was going to do any work for them at that particular point of time. And so uh, they needed to learn some first aid for themselves. And that seemed to be the most appropriate way for them to do it. So I encouraged them to go and put themselves in the sacred center of the world and to call to the spirits all around them, above them and below them and to the south and north and east and west. And you can also, if you want, put in the, the cross quarters too, northwest, southeast, etc. And to call for the spirits that love them that wanted to protect them and wanted to be with them, to come gather around them. 
It sometimes alarms me the situations that people put themselves into, thinking that kind of sheer intuition and absolutely no training whatsoever in any of the sacred traditions is going to get them out of trouble, that they think that they are completely safe and they do the most crazy kind of irresponsible things. I do have to say that um, often when we're newbies and we're starting out on a shamanic path, well, you are kind of safe, um, mostly. It seems like beginner's luck or uh, the spirits look after you or I'm not quite sure what it is. But but if you if you mess up and you kind of don't know that you're messing up, you quite often can get away with it. Uh, I wouldn't like people to uh, try that out and think, oh, I'll be all right. I'm a newbie. But it does tend to happen if you know what you're doing and you still act in a stupid way, however, I think the spirits are a lot less lenient on you. So uh, you get a lot less wiggle room. In realistic terms, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, it's very difficult, I think, for people to learn to journey without any kind of input from a teacher, a physical human teacher who's going to help them in the room talk to them, debrief them, give pointers and do's and don'ts. It's not impossible, but it's not going to be very easy. It's really helpful to be able to just talk about things, to be able to describe your experiences and get feedback. That's part of how it's always been, and that's really, really important. But everybody can develop an animistic practice and kind of get that dialogue going between their deep self and the spirits that are all around them. And that is such a useful, mm, that's such an essential thing to do, really, I think. So I would encourage you to develop that. I would encourage you to make offerings, to connect, to sit quiet. Meditation is not actually part of shamanism, and most shamans don't have any meditative practice. But the ability to be able to sit quietly with oneself, to be able to sit with nature, with the spirits, with the stones, with the sky, with the weather, whatever it is, or inside, sitting with your altar, with the candle on your altar and the incense and all of that, just tuning in just sitting quiet, listening to the spirits, that is an essential part of shamanism. I wouldn't call that meditation, but then because I'm a Tibetan Buddhist, I guess I got fairly strict view of what meditation is. Maybe we'll talk about that another time. Om. <laughs> so, time to say goodbye and thank you. So let's end with a few links. If you want to complain at me, uh, you can email me nick at sacredhoop.org. If you want to subscribe to Sacred Hoop magazine, which is, uh, well, I'm biased, but I think it's the best shamanic magazine on the planet. Then two years of magazines, that's eight issues for £14, which is about $17. You can go to a secret link, which is sacredhoop.org forward slash offer.html. If you would like to go and visit the Three Worlds website, which has got all sorts of yummy sacred objects, then it's threeworlds.co.uk and the three is the number, not the word. 
And if you would like to support this podcast and enable me to buy the odd cup of tea, you can, if you would like to, send a PayPal donation and the email address to send it to is donation at sacredhoop.org. Thank you very, very much for listening and I will be back rambling about something or other in the very near future. Bye-bye.